Welcome to the Water and Stone podcast. You are listening to episode number 147. Our Sunday worship service for January 5th, 2020 is Be Fulfillment. It is the first in the series Legendary Life, inspired by the Beatitudes. The journey begins when we acknowledge our growing places and make room for new ideas. So our scripture today, let's say it together. Together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do you feel when you hear that? You've heard that before. It's part of the greatest hits collection, the Beatitudes. How do you feel when you hear that? It says a lot. I mean, we're talking about Bible over and over again every single week. And one of the things that we've come to is it's important to do your scholarly research. And there's lots of books and lots of classes and lots of workshops and lots of stuff. But at the end of the day, how you feel when you read it can tell you a lot more than some scholar in a classroom sometimes. Isn't that the case? So how do you feel when you hear that? There are those people who say, wait, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, come on already with the guilt trip. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Come on, Jesus. I thought that the end all and be all of spirituality was that I could manifest a Buick. Poor in spirit. I don't want to hear that. I want, you know, a big house and big hair and a swimming pool and movie stars and, you know, Texas tea, whatever. I want that. I went all the way with it. Isn't that what all this is about, poor in spirit? So I ask you, how do you feel when you read that, when you hear that? Because remember, as I said, this is part of the Beatitudes. This is Jesus' instructions. You want it to work, do this. Do it like this. Blessed are you if you go and be these things. These are the be attitudes, right? A lot of times when people teach the be attitudes, they use them as a companion piece to the Ten Commandments. So you have the don't do this, the thou shalt nots on the one hand. It's nice to know what not to do. And then you have the blessed are those the go and do and be on this side. Now, they don't line up exactly. But spiritually they're saying something really important. Spiritually, this is how important they are. Sometimes people come to me and they say, how come Jesus doesn't just tell me what to do? And I say, have you read these? This is as close as you're going to get to go do it like this. This is if you start from nothing and you want to build something up, this is like the Declaration of Independence. This is the blueprint. This is a little bit like when you're on an airplane, that thing that you don't really want to read, but you got nothing else to look at because they haven't brought you your, your ginger ale yet, and you look at the instructions, if there is turbulence, do these things and it's going to be okay. Well, that's what this is. So how do you feel when you hear that? This is profoundly important. If you get the Beatitudes, it's going to be okay. That's what's on the table. Like I said, sometimes people feel like there's a guilt trip in there. Sometimes people don't like that word poor. I don't, I don't know how to feel about that, and I get all of that. So let's understand that it's important to know what all of this means, so let's get down to it. If you look at what Jesus did, maybe you've read the book. Maybe you've read the books. Maybe you've seen the films. Maybe you know a little bit about this. From what you know, you got to know that it doesn't mean what sometimes people think it means. It's got to mean more than that cheap shot theology idea of it. What of what Jesus did makes you think that poverty is important? It is true. He did not have a 401k. 
But the life of Jesus is a life of not wanting for a thing. Hungry people got fed. Water got turned into good wine. When it was time to pay the taxes, the guy in the seamless robe paid him. This is an important prosperity moment. Because the life of Jesus is a life of not wanting for a thing, but here's the catch, not having the pursuit of things define him. That's what prosperity is. It's not defined by how much you have in the bank. It's defined by the fact that material stuff can't tell me who I am. That's freedom. That's prosperity. And that's what he's saying. And that's what he's doing. Some people think that poor in spirit has to do with being some kind of a weakling. And they paint that picture of Jesus as the guilt trip guy who's always kind of disappointed in you and all the pictures. What of what you know about him this man, this amazing way shower who marched into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey's back knowing what was going to happen on Good Friday, who kicked over tables in the temple, who spoke truth to power, is this someone who's going to say, I want you to be a little bit weaker? Doesn't match, does it? About what you know about what he did, it doesn't match. And about what you know about what he taught, what did he say about you? Did he say, you know what, it's good for me to be okay, but you know, you're supposed to suffer and do without. Like I said, here's the deal. At the end of the day, he fed hungry people. He didn't say it's better to be hungry. It's better to suffer. He fixed it. Whatever it was, whatever it happened to be in that situation, it got fixed, right? That's the teaching. Hmm. And you know the stuff I say in one way or another every week. Jesus said, God is our Father. The works I do, you shall do also. Go do these things. Go fix it. You've heard me say that so many times. I should just record it. We can just play it in the loop before the service starts. You know how he feels about you. So the idea that this beatitude should be used for you to feel bad about yourself just doesn't match. It doesn't match. We're going to have to dig deeper. But beyond all of the things that we read about in Scripture, just ask yourself how you feel. Let's go back to what I said. Do you think that that awesomeness that created you, the mystery and the beauty and the love of all of that, did so so that you could have a rotten time? It's kind of weird when you think about it. Once again, you can look at Scripture, but once again, you can look at your heart. Those moments, and maybe you haven't had them, but maybe you have, and I know I have, those moments where you go, okay, I can't. I give up. There's nothing left. It's got to be better than this. Something's got to give. Those moments that you have can be scary, sad, all of it, but they also can tell you something beautiful about yourself. That when you get to the bottom of the barrel, there's a part of you that says, okay, something's got to be better than this. Doesn't that tell you a little bit about what you're really made out of? That in the bottom of your heart, there is a yearning for healing. That tells you something. Maybe something more than what you can read in any book, no matter how holy and wonderful. It's important to face that. Now, I know that there are a lot of places you can go on a Sunday morning that don't want to talk about this. Instead, they say, yes, you're just supposed to be poor. So please put a lot of money in the basket. It is the theology of please don't look at my Rolex and please put yours in the basket. You know what I mean? You've been to those churches. You know about them. You don't need to hear me talk about it. 
but enough to say that that theology has been used to keep people small and to keep people from asking questions and to keep people from saying, hey, how come my life doesn't work? Because if the preacher or the rabbi or the whatever it is can stand up on stage and go, no, your life isn't supposed to work. Please just sit down and shut up. And if you wait long enough, we'll go to the grand prize round, you know? But that theology doesn't match what's in the book, what's in our hearts, what we know. So, okay, we talked a lot about what it does mean. So what does poor in spirit mean? Thank you for asking. Poor in spirit doesn't mean doing without anything. Poor in spirit means recognizing that you're not done. Poor in spirit means getting past the ego idea that everything I do is complete. Poor in spirit means saying, I am teachable. Blessed are those who follow that first step and admit that they have a problem, so to speak. There's a reason why this is the first beatitude. Blessed are those who say, you know what? I got some more fixing to do. Is that problematic? It is for some people. Because I've been on Facebook. I've seen it. (laughs) You know exactly what I mean. If you point out a problem, there are well-intentioned, wonderful, sweet people who will say something like this. You know, I don't like to point out problems because I know that I attract whatever I think about. And so I'm not going to point out these problems because I don't want any more problems. And that's half of a good idea. Because let me put it this way. Can you imagine having a splinter and going, you know what, I don't want to think about that splinter because I don't want to attract more splinters. That ain't how splinters work, guys. Get some tweezers. What we need in this situation is precision, not indecision, you know? Can you imagine, God forbid, the toilet in your house breaks and you call a plumber and the plumber comes and says, you know what, let's focus on all the plumbing that is working. (laughs) How long before you fire that dude and call Roto-Rooter? Really? We are in a situation where specificity is required. We're recognizing that there's something to be fixed is required. Where we're not going to paper over our growing places anymore because we want to look at them so that we can fix them. So let's do away with the idea that Jesus Christ was just here to say, come on, everybody, let's sing Kumbaya about me. Let's sing Kumbaya and just, it, let's just all be okay with everything. Because you know what? You are beautiful and you are powerful and you are capable, but specifically capable of fixing what needs to be fixed. But that means looking at it. The idea of a B attitude, sometimes people say, oh, it just means have a good attitude. Isn't that sweet? Jesus is up there saying, have a good attitude in this nice blanket idea. But that's not what it is at all. These are statements of specificity laser beam like focus tweezers and splinter level of focus about whatever it is because remember attitude can mean a lot of things if you got your funkin wagnalls you can know that attitude doesn't just mean a general way of feeling in the aeronautical world an attitude means a direction what is the attitude of this rocket this airplane this thing what is the direction of it and it is a very specific thing this is not be generic this is be an attitude be focused on something so that you can fix it. Blessed are the poor in spirit means admit that there's something to fix. That's all. Okay, God, I got some fixing to do. Let's, let's do this. Oh, that's the beginning of something amazing because we stop being in denial about it. That's, it's incredible. Knowing the name of the thing is power. 
Think about all of the fairy tales. Think about Rumpelstiltskin or however many fairy tales where knowing the name of the thing gives you the magic power, right? <laughs> Bloody Mary when you were a teenager. Saying the name. Beetlejuice. I'm not going to say it again. Saying the name. You know what I mean? It gets in, doesn't it? We know instinctively because of the myths that we create and share and tell that knowing the name of the thing ha is having the magic power over it. Putting those letters together. Maybe that's why they call it spelling. It's like casting a spell. When you know the name. When you can face it. Think about how you felt the last time somebody forgot your name. Did you feel powerful? Think about how it feels when you go where everybody knows your name, even if Norm ain't there. I'm dating myself. It's a show, guys. It's a show. Remember when there was television and you had to wait for it? No, you don't. Anyway, <laughs> there's a power there, a power of knowing the name. And so step one of the beatitude is face the idea that there's something to fix. Stop being a blanket person and start being a specific person. You may have a splinter or two. You may have some broken pipes or two in your house, in your life, in your heart. But that's okay. No one is going to judge you about that. Who did Jesus hang out with? The people who pretended like they were done or the people who admitted that they could grow some more? So who should we hang out with? Who should we be? That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we are who we are. There's a quote I want to share with you, and I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know where the quote came from. It ain't my fault, because if you look it up on the Internet, it's been attributed to uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Abraham Lincoln. Who knows? It's one of those who knows quotes. And the quote is, you ready? If you think that you're the smartest person in the room... You're in the wrong room. You love that? I love that. You Maybe you've heard that before. It's been around. It's right up there would be the change you want to see in the world. Maybe Gandhi said it. I don't know. Um, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that's a really beautiful thing to say because so often church for people is, I want to go in a place where we're all the smartest people in the room and everybody's just walking around perfect. Perfect is not a destination, guys. Perfect is a process. There's no done. Spoiler alert, there's no done. So if you're in the wrong room, it means is get to a place where you can recognize that they're growing to do. Get to a place where you can embrace that idea. And like I said, I know that that's foreign because we live in a culture that is fixated with being all done. We teach our kids to clean their plates. We ask them what their major is going to be when they're five. We ask people to be done. When are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to retire? When are you going to hurry up and die? When are you going to do all these things? Whatever it is. It is a finish line culture, and I get that there is a fascination with doneness. And maybe you know what it feels like to let doneness run your heart. Is it ever good enough? You and I both know what happens when you get to a horizon. What do you see? Another horizon. It's an artificial concept. There ain't no done. We're going to have to find a different metric to judge ourselves. Maybe a definition of ego is the things that you do have no correspondent in the real world. So it's all just you trying to make a thing be true. And you know you're doing an ego thing when it doesn't line up with life and when it makes you tired. You've heard me say before, God don't get tired. So if my life makes me tired, maybe I'm giving from the wrong place. Right? And it's not a blame thing, it's a fixing thing, just like we're saying, poor in spirit moment. 
I used to live in a pretty egocentric place about certain things, and I'm not going to say I'm all done, but I learned some lessons and I wanted to share one with you. I, I really thought that love was a thing that you just got done with. I found girlfriend, check. We got married, check, done, right? If you think that, I do relationship counseling and we'll do some. You know what I mean? Because you know now that you must continue dating in a way your significant other. You've got to keep working on it because hopefully you're both here to grow. I didn't understand that. I had to learn that. And luckily I found a very patient person to learn that with me. But I thought that there was done. But like I said, there's no done in the real world and being fixated on done is an ego thing. Can you imagine going, I ate kale once. I guess I'm good, nutritionally speaking. It happened. I mean, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Can you imagine, I did yoga. I did it. I did yoga. I solved it like a video game. I did yoga. It doesn't work that way. As it turns out, I did forgiveness. There is absolutely zero in the real world, biological, psychological, spiritual, any other way, that ever gets done. And I didn't know that yet. And I met this amazing woman. We were both just kids ourselves. And God gave us this perfect little girl. And it was incredible. Blew my mind. I didn't have a frame of reference for it. Maybe you know what it is when a doctor puts a little kid in your arms. Whether or not you're a biological parent, you know what it is to fall in love with something that is bigger than you. Whatever that is for you. And I was blown away that here's my heart walking around, man. And that's all of it. You know, there's this feeling of this just it's everything. And not too long after, we had this perfect little, little one walking around. My wife said, you know, if we're going to have another one, we should start thinking about that so that, you know, they're at the right age to have each other as friends and, you know, those kinds of things you think about so school isn't going to murder us. You know, those things, practical, smart, logical things, and I was not any of those, practical, smart, or logical, because I had no frame of reference. Jenny's one of five. And I have an older brother that I didn't know he existed until I was 16. Long story. And I have a younger brother who wasn't born until I was 16. In that one year, I went from only child to angry middle child. <laughs> but I didn't know. And the point of the story is I was effectively an only child. I didn't know anything else. And so it didn't compute for me. And I said to my wife, I, I don't want to do that because... This is all my love. This one person, this little kid, is everything. I can't... And she said, do you think that's how love works? Is the love tank full? I guess it doesn't work like that. But I thought I had the checkmate argument to end this whole conversation. I thought I had it. I said to her, I thought about it and I worked on it. I was all Perry Mason about it. I thought to myself, ladies and gentlemen of this supposed jury, if that is your name, I said, how do I know that if we have another kid, how do I know that you're not going to want more after that? Thinking that because love is finite, there's only so much, and boom, 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 we're going to, what's the end of this process? How do I know? And my wife looked at me and she said, you don't. <laughs> Just like I don't. Because this ain't how this works. Love does not get contained in one person. It's bigger than all of that. It doesn't work in the concept of done because there ain't no done. And in that moment, with those two simple words, you don't, 
I realized how small my idea of how love worked was. And you know the rest of the story. Before too long, God gave us another perfect being. And when I look at these babies, still, they're, they're old now. They're decrepit. When I look at them now, <laughs> no, when I look at them now, I still feel like I won something. You know, it's, it's too big. Because love is not something that is done. So let's get to the place where we don't judge our lives in terms of, are you done yet? Yuck. Let's get to the place where we stop judging our lives by, do you have something to show for it? That sounds like a healthy thing. There are so many people that go, well, what do you have to show for your time in this company? What do you have to show for your time in this relationship? What do you have to show for... That is so external. Aren't we supposed to be unattached to the outcome? I didn't write that one. So judging our lives by what we have to show for something is so external and so dualistic and so takes us out of the moment. But let me say that differently. Can you imagine going to Jesus and going, what do you have to show for this? You don't have a building. Where's your 401k? Do you even have dental? Can you imagine that? What do you have to show for this? And yet, here we are, you know, in a Christian church thousands of years later. What you have to show for it is the wrong question. And when you start asking the wrong question, when you start judging your lives in terms of something that's artificial, you start having to deal with the artificiality and it echoes through with side effects. You know that done is an artificial concept because you have to work so hard to maintain it. If God happens naturally, if the whole consider the lilies of the field thing is anything to learn from, then maybe I don't have to work so hard to maintain this idea. Maybe it's a dumb idea. You know? Maybe there's a, a different way to gauge this. I had a, a, a buddy, a minister buddy, and his name was Victor, and his middle initial was E. Victor E. He changed his legal name to Victory Over Illness and Lack. Yeah, he was really irritating. But I loved him so much. And he went around talking about healing. He was diagnosed with cancer, and he got done with cancer. And he used to go around talking about healing all the time. And he used to say, um, when you have a headache, it's not because you have an aspirin deficiency. And I'm not here to judge these medications that are very helpful, and I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But you and I both know that it's very easy to get in a situation where you put something into the machine that you don't actually require, and then you have to deal with the, the side effects of that thing. And then you've got to take something to deal with the side effects of that. And if you give a mouse a methadone, that's a different book. You know what I mean, though? And like I said, I'm not here, I'm not saying that all of it's bad or anything close to that. But what I am saying is when you put something in that's not supposed to be there, there are repercussions. And you've got to bounce, 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 bounce. And sometimes people bounce for the rest of their lives. And the point of all that is if there is no done in nature or in my heart, and I live life in terms of trying to get done, I'm going to deal with harmful side effects. Ask your doctor if dualism is right for you. Because if I start looking for done in my life, you're welcome. If I start looking for done in my life, I start looking at life in dualistic terms like right and wrong. I start finding good guys and bad guys. These are all side effects of that basic idea, knowledge of good and evil instead of just good. That's a whole different Bible story. I start taking in this idea. I start judging people on whether or not they meet my standard of doneness. And judgment leads to punishment. 
I started talking about that guy ought to have his head examined. That person ought to go to jail. That person ought to be famous. That person ought to go away. Those are all punishments. And none of those are my job. All of those are artificial. Charles Fillmore says, you know you're doing judgment wrong when you start affixing a punishment. And that's where dualism goes. That's where doneness goes. So stop trying to be done and start trying to love where you are. Because you know what? You've got work to do. Did you think you were going to come to church and someone was going to tell you that, that nothing smells funny? I've got work to do. You've got work to do. Embrace the process because it's a beautiful journey if you let it be. If you let it be. If you let it be. So can you let go of, of some of the stuff? Can you let go of the idea that, that it's all supposed to just be fixed? That we're not ever going to talk about our, our growing places? Because you know, just like I know, that the moment in the hero's journey where things really go off the rails... Think about the myths, you know, the fairy tales, the movies that we watch. The part where it's really going to go bad is right when the hero thinks everything's fine. You ever notice that? When they think, oh, we're good, the dragon's dead. Even in slasher movies, don't go watch slasher movies, but even in slasher movies, you know, the guy's dead. And then he comes out from behind the thing with a pitchfork or whatever, you know. It's every movie. The moment when things go crazy is the moment when the hero thinks they're done. So I'm telling you, stop being done. I'm telling you, stop judging your life in terms of this is wrong. I was reading a Rob Bell book the other day, and if you follow me on Facebook, you heard me talking. I was raving about it. But one of the things in there is he talks about error. And he says, people judge error. And he says, that's the wrong metric for life. Can you imagine if you looked at a sunset and said, well, that was error-free? How you feel about the person you love? Well, this is an error-free situation. How you feel about your favorite song, the best meal you ever had? You don't say error-free. That's the wrong metric. Well, I'm trying to tell you it's okay. Some people change the words of the Lord's Prayer and they say, deliver us from errors. Well, let me tell you that I don't want to be delivered from my errors because I got to tell you nine times out of ten, that's how I learn. It's okay. Let me mess up. That's what poor in spirit means. Poor in spirit means, you know what, God, I don't know. Let me be the kind of person who's brave enough to stop acting like nothing's wrong, to start, stop judging other people by what I think is wrong with them. Let me be the kind of person that's brave enough to say, Father, I, I don't have an answer, but I know that an answer exists. I don't know how to fix this, but I know in faith that it can be fixed. I don't know how to heal this, but I realize that your job is healing. So I get out of the way. Let it go. I set it free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really 
change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person, our street address, and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.